Good morning, everybody. This morning, we are going to be finishing a series I started about six years ago. <laughs> I think this is number seven. I, don't, I can't remember having gone maybe on something on grace, but it's been a little while on this. Um, and I've had a lot of comments, so thank you guys also, by the way. If, you ever, if you're ever like, hey, you know, uh, you could do that better, don't, don't tell me that on Sunday. Just wait till Tuesday and tell me that, you know, when I've recovered. <laughs> but uh, no, honestly, if you've got some feedback on our messages, you, you don't necessarily have to tell me. You can grab one of our leaders and give them some feedback. It is never going to hurt my feelings. I know a couple of times I've gone long in the series, and I apologize because I really tried to be careful not to do that. And so thank you guys for your patience in that, because some of these things, in all honesty, take because you try to, if it goes too long, you're like, I could split that into two messages, but I'm already at number seven. So <laughs> imagine how many times I've already split it into two messages. So, uh, so thank you for your patience on that. I really appreciate that. We try not to do that. We try to pay attention to those things because uh, I remember my, my uh, pastor in Bible college said, um, uh, the heart can only receive as much as the seat can endure. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's one reason we have soft, cushy seats for you guys so I can preach longer. Um, but no, we try not to take advantage of that. So but I really do appreciate you guys, your patience and all this. Um, part of the reason why is because we really are trying to build into something. Like, I, I love to preach, but I don't do it for fun. I mean, I do. <laughs> but I don't do it just because I like to hear myself talk. Uh, I do. <laughs> but, <laughs> hey, God made me that way. It's his fault. Um, no, I do it because, it, you know, we're trying to build up the hill toward a beautiful plateau of culture. In other words, at some point when, we, when we're doing it, uh, you know, I don't have to talk about it so much. It's just kind of like if you get a plate spinning, you know, and the old thing where you, once, once you got it spinning right, you can just come and touch it every once in a while and it'll keep going. Especially if it's, you know, if it's really heavy and strong itself, just a touch here and there will keep it going. And, and that's really part of what we're trying to do is build a culture of, um, wisdom and power, because we love the power of God. If someone asks us, are you guys charismatic, Pentecostal? I, I don't know that we're Pentecostal, although a lot of us, well, some of us have backgrounds in that. Um, a charismatic just means, you know, a Protestant denominations who in, embrace the move of the Holy Spirit. It started probably in the uh, 70s, uh, into the 80s and 90s in a big way, and now it's just taken over. We're God's moving by a spirit almost every church you find, which is beautiful because God's, you know, he's trying to do something. It's really interesting scripture in Hebrews says, uh, hear what the spirit of God is saying to the churches. So it's his church and he's trying to talk to his church. Um, I, I remember somebody put it this way, you know, it's like the gifts of the spirit, you know, we talk about three sets of gifts. I don't have this as a uh, slide, but three sets of gifts. You know, we talk about uh, the grace gifts, which is basically how God made you to be. You know, for me, I, I, I teach, I speak. That's why I was saying I like to do that, because God made me that way. Uh, for some of you guys, um, he made you, you're hospitable. Like, you, you're just so good at that. Um, some of you guys, you're, you have huge empathy and patience and massive mercy gifts. And we need all those gifts in the body. We need them desperately. That's the, those are the grace gifts. Then the Doma gifts are like the five-fold ministry gifts you find in Ephesians 4. And then the manifestation gifts that we've been talking about, um, kind of how the, the, the Spirit of God works in and through people. That's kind of what we want to finish up with today, the real practical side of what that looks like. But the more we lean into this, again, the, the, the more God's able to, to release his grace through every arena. So if, if you are a firm believer in the threefold, fivefold ministry gifts, <laughs> which a lot of churches are, um, God will move through those three, right? 
So I'm like, we don't believe in prophets and apostles in the New Testament. That's fine. God will, God will work with whatever you give him, which is, you know, his kindness, but he would like to work with the other two if you would let him. If you don't believe in the manifestation gifts, if you buy into the, into the idea that, you know, everything ceased, you know, with the church age, um, then God will work through the grace gifts in ways that you can't even imagine. And he'll work through the manifestation gifts. You just won't call them that. <laughs> and I see this happen all the time. People who are like, you know, their theology would embrace cessationism where things ceased, but their practical life is you can see God moving in power in their life oftentimes. And they'll, they'll say things like, I just feel like God is saying only, you know, that's kind of prophecy. That's literally <laughs> the definition of it. Um, but they won't know it. And so what I love is as we build up into this and we get that culture, then what it does is it allows God to release his grace through every avenue. You know, if you're in tremendous need personally, then God wants to pour his grace into you. But at some point, as you grow and mature, you get to the place where you're walking in that level of maturity. That's your culture, if you will. Um, You're walking in a level of maturity. Then God often will work through you because he doesn't have to work to you very much anymore, right? Because you've learned how to embrace peace. You've learned how to trust God. You've learned how to recognize grace and receive grace and walk in grace. You know, you push, you put the sin aside, you're getting your mind transformed. And the more you do that, the more God actually is able to work through you rather than just work in you. Does that make sense? And so as we kind of build this, um, what we're trying to get to is what would it look like as a church if God, if God could just use you anytime he wanted to, right? What if he literally, what if he just said, you know what, I think I want to use you today at lunch, and your, your waitress or waiter comes up. I use this often because this happens to me a lot. And I'll just say, hey, God, is there anything you want to say to that person through me? Right? If I'm distracted or if, I'm, if I have a tremendous need, I typically I'm like, God, would you say something to me? <laughs> right? um, this morning, one of the things we're trying to get to in our worship and our experience, we, we challenge our worship team to, uh, to help build an environment for the presence of God to come, the Holy Spirit to move among us, right? That's what we do. And so it's not just a, a nice thing to do, tell God how much we love him. You can do that at the house, right? That's not a problem. But there's something about when we come together and we come into the presence of God and we all begin to lean in, if we have a tremendous need, then obviously God will come and help meet that need. He'll, that's part of what he did this morning. I, I, I was looking at your faces as I was sharing during worship, um, and so many of you are like... I, that's, he's talking to me, like he's reading my mail. He, he's like, he's been watching me, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm not. It's just common to what, what we're all going through. And it's interesting how God sometimes will use some, something in a generalized uh, perspective on a Sunday morning like this to speak to every single one of you about where you are specifically with a very general word. But it's, it's always interesting, too, to see God. Sometimes he'll come, and he'll, he'll like be like a laser, and just go right to a person, a person's heart. He'll say something to them. They'll be deeply impacted, and that will impact everybody else because they'll say, hey, if God is doing that for them and he's no respecter of persons, wouldn't he do that with me or for me, right? But the idea is if we get to the place where we can walk in some level of maturity, then what happens is the gifts now, God's Spirit begins to work through us, and he is able to work through us as he wills. And that's his heart, and that's his, that's his desire. Because we're not, just, we're not just here till we get to heaven. We're here, um, and, and we're never going to be more saved than the moment we got saved. Does that make sense? Like, like you're not, we sang the song, Jire, you're never going to be more loved. Right? The Bible says, while you, were, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. So while you were at your worst, he did his best for you, right? 
<laughs> so like, and that's why I always think like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm struggling as a Christian. I'm seeing, I just feel like God's presence is far from me. I'm like, I, I understand what you're trying to say, but if you're not careful, you buy into the lie that because you're not living a perfect life, somehow God has abandoned you and he doesn't do that. It's not what he does. You might abandon him and often the enemy, if he can get you to think that God's abandoning you, abandoned you, in effect, for you, God has abandoned you. See how that works? So that's why truth is so powerful and why we have to be subject to it. So as we kind of go into this, there's, a, there's this tremendous call not just to move in power, but to move in wisdom. And we said in the very beginning that this, we see this in the person of Jesus, both the wisdom and the power of God. So there's this really interesting scripture I'm going to launch with. This is Acts chapter 1. And this is Paul. He just, uh, sorry, Luke. He had just written uh, the Gospel of Luke. So they believe this is kind of like a two-part book that he did. So he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he writes Acts. Um, and this is what he says. He says, in my former book, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, which is a, I won't get into who he was, but he was writing, often there were patrons who helped support. And so he would, he's writing to this guy, and he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Right? So, so there, were, there were things he did, and there were things he taught about how to do what he did. So Jesus takes 12 disciples, and for three years, he models it, he does it with them. So he, first, he does it for them. That's the modeling. He does it with them. That's kind of releasing them and helping navigate them into doing it well. And then he releases them to it. And then at some point, he says, I have to leave. I have to go away so that the Spirit of God can come and live in you in the way he's been living in me. Only now, where I was just localized, I was just one person walking around you know, the, the nation of Israel. Now you are in Every single place, every culture, every sphere of influence in Dothan, Alabama, the Holy Spirit is moving in you and through you into this place. So little pockets of the light of God and the power of God breaking out all over the world. And, he, and as a matter of fact, Jesus, he said, you're going to do greater things than I did, right? And so we're going to get into that a little bit. So here's the thing. Everyone is on a continuum in the gifts. So Paul or, sorry, Luke was trying to teach Theophilus, and through the book of Acts, he was trying to teach him, this is what Jesus taught, right? And so often we make Christianity about uh, rules and regulations and about philosophy and about, you know, uh, a pattern of life and, you know, how to, and that, that's true. Jesus did teach, but he also did things. And so his expectation is not just that you would understand the gospel, but that you would live it. Not that you would just uh, understand how the ministry of the Holy Spirit would work in you, but you would actually allow the Holy Spirit to ministry to work through you. Does that make sense? So he's, he's teaching this. So um, everyone's on this continuum. So I just put this up where it's easy to see. Um, there's far, the far left cessationism, and that just comes from the word cease. It just literally means that um, uh, if you follow that doctrine, your church has taught that, that, the, that when the church was established, it needed the apostles, and it needed the power of God and the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit once that which is perfect has come is what they believe that, I won't go into that, I've done that before, but they believe that scripture means that. Once the church has come, that which is perfect has come, the church. I don't know if you, I've been in church. I am the church. We're not there yet. <laughs> right? So the, I'm like, oh, well, that settles that. That was easy to dispute. But they believe, cessationism believes that once that was established, there was no more need for the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that's the far 
end on one side. And then where we land is called continuationism. <laughs> and so that, all that simply means the root word continue. It just means that we believe that the gifts in the ministry of the Holy Spirit have continued even into the church age, even into today and what we're doing right now. So that's where we stand. At DCF, this is kind of where we land is on that end of it. Now, there's a little bit further past that, what we call sensationalism. <laughs> and that's where you take continuationism and you, you're extra. Does that, does that make sense? <laughs> any, any millennials know what that means? So you just, you went further than what God meant. So you're not just walking in the gifts, you're doing more than what God, which is literally why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, I love that you're walking in the, in, in the gifts. He said in First, uh, First Corinthians chapter 1, he said, um, you guys are, all the gifts are working in your life and in your church. However, I had to treat you like babes. You were, you were you immature in how you were operating the gifts. And so he challenges them, quit being s- sensational about this. Quit using the gifts for your um, um, selfish needs. Right? So let me give you an example. Um, if, if I can move in prophecy, it's very, very powerful. And so I'll read people's mail. You've heard phrases like that. So here's the danger is if you, if you do that and you don't have anybody around you to challenge you to maturity, um, then your gift is bigger than your character, right? And you get really good at obeying the Lord with his gift, and so you can tell people what the Lord is saying to them, and then you kind of become the go-to person where you're the guy who tells them what's going on, and then one day they come to you and ask you for something and you don't have anything, so you make something up. Right? Because you can't look bad in front of them. And, and, and you can't, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm the big man on campus, so I have to look good. So you really have to be careful if, to, to, to not use the gifts in selfishness. Same thing is true in, in leadership gifts and any gift. You can draw attention to yourself rather than to him. Right? So we want to be careful not to do that. So everybody's on that continuum. Um, the problem with, the, with the, the gifts in 1 Corinthians were not the gifts. They were immature people. So I just want to Paint that perspective for you guys. When you go read 1 Corinthians, so often he talks to them, he never, he never pulls them out of grace and says, thou shalt not, you know, we talked about some of the things that the people in that church were doing. He never said, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian. He said, look, that's not how God designed you. So he appealed to their identity. He said, if, if Jesus is living in you, then this is, this is what ought to be happening in you. And if it's not, you need to make that adjustment so that it is. But he didn't say, you know, shame on you, you're, you're not a believer. You're, you're no longer, you lost your salvation. That's a game people play with power, right, especially church leaders. Be careful now, you're going to lose your salvation. You better give more, you better show up, you better, listen, I'd love to manipulate you. I just, I can't do it anymore. I just, <laughs> I, I learned about grace and it was so amazing for me. I went and told you guys and now I can't manipulate you anymore. It's terrible. It's just a terrible way to lead a church. <laughs> and the expectation is, if what, but what you see then is I can't, be all, I can't always be the big man on campus because at some point sons and daughters grow up and can walk in the same power that I do. And if I'm honest, sometimes greater power. And so, so that forces you to just be honest about who God made you to be and release people to their gifts and their calling. So that's just kind of free. So, so let me just give you a few evidences of continuationism so you know that I'm just make, not making this up. So here's one. Gifts were widespread and common in the New Testament church. So when you read the Gospels and, and you, know, you see Jesus doing and teaching and doing, and then you see the book of Acts, Jesus is not there anymore personally, right? Or in person, I should say, in his human form. He's, he's 
ascended to heaven. He, he's, the Bible says because he ascended to heaven, he gave gifts to men. Ephesians talk about that. So there are certain gifts. We're going to get to that in a second. But the other thing that he did is the ministry of the Holy Spirit now can move in power through every single believer. So now the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit, we talked about this last week, where Jesus did miracles and signs and wonders and all these things, that same spirit is in you now. It's the same spirit. It's not different. So whatever Jesus did, you are capable of doing too except for paying for somebody, somebody's sins. He's the only one who could have done that. We talked about that last week. So here's an example um, how widespread, in, you see it in Rome, in Romans, you see it in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Acts talks about Samaria, Caesarea, Antioch, Ephesus. You see the book of Ephesians written to that city. Um, Thessalonica, Galatia. And in Christians in every area, you see them traveling in unknown places, and it talks about stories of them walking in the power of God. It was common then, and it's supposed to be common now. And if you hang around the right people, you'll find that it actually is common. Um, I, I'm not surprised by the things that God does anymore. I'm surprised sometimes by the, by the power of it and the impact of it, and, and that's amazing. But the fact that God moves in power and moves supernaturally I have to remind myself that some people don't understand that, and I have to help explain it, right? Because they've never seen it before. Um, secondly, the gifts occurred among, and, and it, this is kind of technical, but understand it. The gifts occurred among non-preascension apostles. So, what was that? The apostles of the Lamb were the twelve that Jesus took on his disciples. He talks about them. They were very specific, and, and I want to I want to be clear about that. The role that they were going to play on the earth. And in heaven, he says, you're going to sit on the thrones in heaven. They're, they're, you're, there's something about who you are in the 12 that, that was very specific about they were apostles, they were servants, if you were, will, attendants to the bridegroom, right? And Ephesians 4 talks about the five-fold ministry gift, and those guys were attendants to the bride. So think about it. Jesus was the groom, right, the bridegroom. And so these 12 attended to him in his earthly ministry. He spoke into their lives. He poured his, his ministry out on them. Um, the, same, the power that they walked in is the same that we can all walk in because they, they were modeling it. If Jesus did it, we did it, and their disciples would do it as well. And you see that throughout church history. So, so the, but what's important is they weren't the only ones who moved in this power. Pre-ascension, before Jesus ascended, these apostles. Because if you read the book of uh, Acts, there are what we call post-ascension apostles. Right? And so this is where the, the problem of the threefold, fivefold ministry begins to break down. Because you, you say, well, you can't, you know, we don't need apostles and prophets anymore because they were for establishing the church. But we do need pastors and evangelists and teachers. Right? So how do you know that? Well, because that's what they taught me in Bible college. Well, did, have they read the book? Because it turns out if you read the book, it says some things that the Bible college didn't teach you. <laughs> Very important. So here's an example. The 70 who were commissioned in Luke... Stephen, Philip, Ananias, all those, uh, Stephen and Philip, by the way, were deacons who moved in sometimes greater power than the elders, other elders did in their, in their day. Church members in Antioch, anonymous converts in Ephesus, like, don't even name them. Like, he didn't even give their name. They're just moving in power, right? Uh, women at Caesarea, can God use women? Can you imagine? <laughs> Somebody asked me one time, it's like, do you have a problem with strong women? And I'm like, have you met my wife? Because I don't know that you've met my wife. 
So God used, and, and why that's important, I joke about it, but why that's important is you just, women weren't used for anything. Well, they were used for some things. <laughs> but they weren't used for much in terms of power and prestige and anointing and all these other things. You see it throughout the Old Testament, but it's, it's for lack of a better term, it's pockets of like Deborah as a judge and different ones. You, you see different ones that kind of rise to the top. But women were treated with disdain. In some ways, they were actually treated as property. We all know history, right? But God... God's like, yeah, but that's not what I'm going to do. As a matter of fact, in one place it says, in the Holy Spirit, there's neither male nor female. So God will work through you in, if you're willing. So believers in Rome, believers in Corinth, Christians, and everywhere you see, God moved in people who were not apostles and not prophets, named prophets in the New Testament. So the last one is post-ascension gifts. So I mentioned this before, the three sets of gifts there are manifestation gifts, which we're going to talk about today. There are grace gifts, which everybody has. Hospitality, leadership, you know, just natural gifting. We see this a lot with kids. We'll go, that kid is, it, that kid is so stubborn, right? Anybody ever said that about your kid? <laughs> Any parents ever said that about you? But, but, and that's true because they're selfish with it, right? But when they, when they learn how to take that gift that God has given them and use it for other people's good, Stubborn turns to tenacious. Tenacious is a positive perspective of the same thing. That's just using it, instead of using it for selfish purposes, I'm using it to serve others. I'm using it to serve a purpose. I'm tenacious. I won't let go. I'm, 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 I'm there. I'm not giving up. You see, you see the picture. So, um, so those are our, our grace gifts, manifestation gifts. We talked about that. 1 Corinthians 12 gives a big list of those. Um, and then lastly, there's Doma gifts. These are five-fold ministry gifts we mentioned before. So let me just show you this in the Bible. This is Ephesians 4.11. It says, Christ himself gave Jesus himself. When he ascended on high, the Bible says, he gave gifts to men, right? And what the picture is, he said, I'm going to take some special men, right? Not special in character or value, just special in a role that I'm going to give them. I'm going to give them a purpose and a definition, and this is what they're going to do. You see this throughout Scripture. It says, nope. God has no problem giving the role of a father and a mother, right? One's not less than the other. And so there's a, big, there's a big push. When we see inequality, what we want to do is we want to elevate the other and diminish the first one. And God never does that. He doesn't elevate one to diminish. He just says, hey, look, I'm going to move in a mother in a different way than I'm going to move in a father, right? And that's just for here. That's just for the earth, right? Because we're not going to need that in heaven. So, so as God does this, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a leader as a role. It's just sometimes leaders take advantage of the authority and the power that God gives. And if you read in the New Testament, Paul goes after this numerous times. He says, he says God gave me authority in your life, but never to tear you down, always to lift you up. So that's how you know if you're a good leader, a mature leader, is you're using your authority to build up, not tear down. You're using it to serve the purposes of others and serve the purposes of the kingdom, not yourself. So you see that with these, with these, these guys, these five-fold ministries. He said, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service. Listen, he gave those five-fold ministry gifts not to do the work of service. It's not what it says. It says to equip you as a believer so that you would do works of service through you. Right. So this morning, I'm one of those five-fold ministry gifts, and I am teaching you, and I'm explaining to you and helping model this in front of you what it looks like 
to be equipped to serve the purposes of the kingdom in this world, to be an image bearer on this planet, to show people that God is amazing, that he's, he's full of love, that he wants to redeem them, that he wants to rescue them, he wants to help identify who he made them to be, all those different things. He wants to speak to all that, right? And so I get to do that. I can't, I can't abuse that power if, I'm, if I want to, but I shouldn't, Right? And if you have any sense in, in, your, in your brain, if a leader starts to doing that, you approach them and challenge it. And if that's you bail, right? Don't stay and drink the Kool-Aid. Not helpful, right? So why did he give these guys? He goes on, it says, to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up, right? Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So people ask me, why do you believe the fivefold ministry gifts, especially the apostle and the prophet, are still available today? And the answer is, let's read it, <laughs> so that the body of Christ may be built up until. So he gives these gifts until. Until what? Until we all reach unity in the faith. Have we done that yet? until we reach the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. We done that yet? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Have we done that yet? Mom, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet, so we still need these guys, right? One day we won't, but today we do. So, why this is so important? There's, let, me just, let, let me give you a Bible quiz. You guys ready? So, question number one, out of those five-fold ministry gifts, which three are mentioned most in the New Testament? Anybody know? So let me give you a list. The word apostle occurs 85 times in the New Testament. The word prophet occurs 150 times in the New Testament, 20 of those being specific about New Testament, New Covenant, church-age prophets, right? The word teacher occurs 125 times in the New Testament. Now let's flip that around and ask this question. Which two of those fivefold ministries are mentioned the least in the New Testament? The word evangelist occurs three times in the entire New Testament, right? This is fun. The word pastor occurs precisely once. You know where? In the passage I just read. That's it. But in the modern church, what do you call the leader of the church? So is he a pastor? Maybe. Maybe that's his five-fold ministry gift. What if his five-fold ministry gift is teacher or evangelist or prophet or apostle? You can't say that because, you know, if you say apostle, then people are going to think they're elevated. No, no, no. We teach people that if you can be a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, and those aren't elevated higher than they were in the New Testament in the book of Acts, why would you think prophet or apostle are elevated any higher? They're just leadership roles. They just... They just function differently. The Bible actually goes on. It talks about this in Ephesians 2. It tells about this. It says that the, the, sorry, the apostle and the prophet are the foundation of the church with Jesus being the cornerstone. So, so God says, I'm going to come and use apostles and prophets to lay foundations in churches, and then pastors, teachers, and evangelists are going to build off that foundation. But it doesn't say any foundation. It says they lay the foundation with Jesus being the cornerstone. In other words, everything is built from him. If you build in any other way, and Paul said this, you, you preach any other gospel, you're accursed. You, do, you teach anything that's not scriptural, and you're not building on the foundation that Jesus is the cornerstone. You're not doing it. So he challenges us and says, don't do that. 
So think about that. Let's just think about it for a second. The Bible speaks of New Testament apostles, prophets, or teachers over 200 times. Pastors and evangelists are mentioned a combined total of four times in the Bible, in the New Testament. So I'm just saying that to say that maybe what you learned in the modern church might not be accurate. Because we have, we have bought in, think about this, we bought into an entire culture where we call the leader of the church pastor. So when you meet me, if you want to call me pastor, that's fine. You can do that. Um, but if you're a plumber and your name's Joe, you call me Pastor Dave, I'm going to call you Plumber Joe. And the reason why is pastor or apostle or prophet or teacher evangelist is not my title. It's not my position. It's a function. No different than my identity is not I'm an apostle, right, or, or prophet or teacher. That's not my identity. That's a role I'm playing, and, and that's something that God uses me. So it's part of my identity, but it's not the whole thing. And so when I go, we go to Bible college, we graduate, you become the pastor of the church. Here's why that's so dangerous. Because so often you're in a church and you think the leader is supposed to look like something. Everybody knows the pastor is super shepherding, right? He's got huge mercy gifts. I mean, you, everybody knows this. And the, and the pastor's wife always plays the piano, and she's sweet, and she's, you know, she's really good at design, so the church looks amazing. I mean, everybody, we understand this, right, as a church. <laughs> but we make all these assumptions based on what? Is it that we're reading Scripture and saying, what does the Bible actually say about these things? Or have we just learned some way of doing it and we just haven't been taught better. So I use this analogy all the time. My dad was from the Appalachian Mountains. He went to the seventh grade, which is higher education in Kentucky. <laughs> and, and so he taught me how to tie my shoes, only he didn't even have shoes until he's like 14 years old, right? So um, I was on the internet, and I saw this video that says, um, you're tying your shoes wrong. And I was like, no, I'm not, but I need to find out, right? So I click on it, and, and sure enough, I've been tying my shoes wrong for 40-something years. And the way you know, here's some of you guys are doing this. The way you know is if you tie it wrong, the bow goes this way instead of this way, right? Some of you guys are like, what? Well, that changes everything, right? So I figured, because I used to have to, talk. anyway, I did it. I called my dad. I'm like, what are you doing, dad? Like, you taught me how, 40 years I've been tripping over my shoelaces, and I didn't have to do that if you'd have taught me. He goes, Dave, I didn't even have shoes until I was 14. You're lucky you know how to tie your shoes at all, right? So here's, here's the thing. Maybe what you were taught was, was awesome. Maybe you, you were taught to tie that bow correctly and you've never had any problems. Maybe your dad didn't have shoes either and maybe your pastor hadn't read this particular passage in the book about grace yet. <laughs> maybe he was struggling in understanding himself and he hadn't gotten there, right? So I want to challenge you. Do you really know what you know? So the answer is e easy as how you tell is what does the book say? actually. Well, you can interpret that anyway. No, you cannot. You can't. I, you can't. Anybody who knows the Bible and someone tries to use a scripture out of context, it's so incredibly obvious I can't even explain it to you. Now, they might not listen at all to what you have to say about it, but if you know scripture, scripture, basically what you use the Bible to do is to interpret itself. Because if you read one passage about grace and it seems off, go read all the other passages about grace and it will become clear very, very quickly. Does that make sense? All right. So a couple of things before I blast through all the practical ways we can use these gifts. Gifts are not just for church meetings. This is a huge thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 
says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. To each one. In other words, everybody can receive a manifestation gift and walk in those gifts. It's given for the common good. The gifts are not given just for you to experience the euphoria of sensing the presence of God working through you. You will, and it's awesome when God uses you. It's super powerful, but it's, it's for the common good. It's for, it, God said, I'm going to use the gifts to bless humanity. I'm gonna, you're going to be the image bearer, and you're going to demonstrate my love and my power over sin, sickness, demons. You're going to do that, and, and you're going to do it through, through the manifestation of the Spirit of God. This is what that says. So we're image bearers. We build up, we encourage, and we connect myself. I connect myself to God, and I help connect other people to God. So now I'm just going to blister through nine practical ways um, that we can walk in these gifts, okay? And uh, Dave and I went through this, so D- Dave's going to sit over there and go, that seems familiar, because he helped me teach this a couple years back before COVID. But I want to go back through this, because if you get these things, some of you, I promise, some of you guys go, oh, yeah, I knew that, I knew that. There's going to be something in here you're going, I never knew that. And it's going to change the way you think. And what it's going to do, this is my prayer this morning, is it's going to release you into a manifestation gift that you've never been used in before. It's going to release you into the power of God. And the more you see the power of God work in you, through you, into other people, the more you're going to recognize how much God wants to work in you. How he's, going to, he's going to deal with all the challenges and the things that keep you from immaturity. He's going to challenge you in that. And to the degree that you grow up and become mature in that is the degree that the power of God is going to be released through you. Does that make sense? So you don't have to do this. You can go to heaven having never used a gift. I mean, good luck. It's tough to do that, right? But you can. And so here's the first one. The gifts must be eagerly desired. You see this all through Corinthians and so many other places. The Holy Spirit works most through those who are eagerly partnering with Him. Make yourself available to the Spirit of God working through you, right? Here's the antithesis of that. Disinterested or antagonistic people will seldom taste the manifested power of God. I don't believe God works like that. Okay. Probably won't see it. If you do see it, you'll go, I don't believe God works through that. I, they're making that up. Some, they, he read my mail. Like literally, physically, he read my mail. Or that's staged. Or listen, I'm, <laughs> I, I doubt a lot. And, and part of it is I, I've seen human nature because I've seen it in me. And I'm like, some of you guys are, you know, maybe you're not being intentionally wrong, but I've been around enough to know that people can be well-intentioned and still be wrong. So I can be skeptical, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says to test the Spirit, to see whether it is of God or not. But don't withdraw and, and be disinterested or even antagonistic because you were hurt at one point, or you were taught this all wrong, and now you're like, I don't like that, or I don't, I'm not sure I want to lean into that. That's fine. But don't say God's not doing this anymore because it's just not biblically accurate and it's not true at all. We, we see it all around us in our church. Hang out with me. I'll tell you a million stories about how God does this. So let me just give you some scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, eagerly desire the greater gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, after the love chapter, which is the environment these gifts ought to work in, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. We're going to talk about that in just a second about why. Here's the second one. They're given for the benefit of all. Personal benefit is fine. When God uses me, I feel his power and course through my body. It's incredible. But they are subject to the whole body being blessed. So if you just stand up and give a message in tongues, 
and there's no interpretation of those tongues, right? The Bible says, first of all, you can pray, and you can interpret that tongue yourself. That's fine. The Bible's very clear about that. It basically tongues, and then the interpretation of tongues together kind of sort of equal prophecy, right? But it's a way that God can use two people in the supernatural rather than just one. So it's super cool. And there's some things about the, the gift of tongues that are, are different in prophecy, because if you prophesy, people can go, oh, that's just a good message, and that moved me emotionally. But when someone speaks in tongues you have a challenge before you. Did they make that up? Is this, you know, they mean well, but it's, you know, they, they think they're Napoleon Bonaparte on the inside of their head? I don't know, right? Or is this something that's actually God? The first time I heard it, I just thought it was Spanish because I grew up in Alabama. Never, never met a Hispanic person when I was growing up, so I just, any foreign language was Spanish to me, right? Until I went overseas and lived in England and then found out that English was also a foreign language. But here's my point. <laughs> If, if, you, if you don't step into these gifts, if you don't, if you don't eagerly desire them, you're never going to see this happen, and you're not going to understand it when it does, right? So part of this is, I don't get this, Lord. This confuses, is confusing a little bit. I'm not sure how this works, but I want to learn. That's what it means to eagerly desire. Here's another one, uh, just some scripture. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So you can speak in a language, a, a Holy Spirit language, because that's all tongues means. It's just an archaic word for language. So you can speak in a language from the Holy Spirit that is earthly. My wife did this one time, this is about five or six years ago, gave a message on Sunday mornings in one of these languages under the anointing and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that morning there was a missionary there who spoke Bosnian. And he came up and says, hey, that's really interesting because some of those words were Bosnian. This is what those words were. And another lady, one of our elders, she was homeschooling and she was teaching um, something in old uh, archaic English. And she said, hey, that's, that's from the Canterbury Tales, and this is what those words mean in Old English. So two known languages on a Sunday morning where my wife gave a message in tongues, and it was interpreted. Sometimes it's heavenly, and we don't recognize it, but we get the interpretation of it, right? So he who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And then Jude says this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up. This is part of what praying in tongues does. It builds you up on the inside, builds you up on your most holy faith, says, by praying in the Holy Spirit. So that's what that looks like. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 14, 5 in Corinthians says, um, talks about tongues versus prophecy, and it says, um, if he speaks, if he, hold on, let me just read I wish you had all. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets why so that the church may receive edification. So the gifts are in you, and they're awesome when they happen, but they're not just for you. They're for the common good. So part of stepping into the gifts is saying, God, I want to serve people better. I want to walk in the supernatural so that I can serve people better. Number three, God uses the furnishings of our mind when he speaks to and through us. What does that mean? Um, God talks to me through landscaping, because my dad was a landscaper, and I grew up doing that. (laughs) Uh, My friend Mark, he flies helicopters, among other things, God talks to him through flight and aeronautics and, you know, aerospace and all those fun things. And so when he hears and sees some of those things, he's like, oh, that's interesting, because God, it's already inside of his mind. If you are an engineer or if you're an artist, whatever that looks like, God will use the furnishings of your mind to speak to you. And once he begins to do that, and you understand what he's saying, often it's symbolism, of course it's symbolism, and you can, you can understand what it is and you can communicate what God's trying to say through that. So Acts 10 is an example. 
Um, this is Peter. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So what happened here? The Bible says he was fasting, so he hadn't eaten. He was hungry. He went up on the roof. It's kind of like a, a patio, for lack of a better term, on the roof. And he's praying, he's just connecting with God. And he has a vision about eating food. <laughs> so think about that, how practical God's like, you're hungry, I'm going to use the fact that you're hungry, the furnishings of your mind, what's going on right now, to speak to you about this, right? I've had God do that. I've been afraid of something, a good healthy fear of something, and God used that healthy fear to speak to me about something else. So Peter, he hears, he's hungry, and then God says, I want you to kill impure animals and eat them, right? And he said, no, Lord, I've never done that because he was a Jew. His culture was a religious Jewish man, even though he was a, he was a, a fisherman. He understood. He'd grown up 13 years old. He had to recite the first five books of the Bible. The man knew the Bible, right? So God uses his hunger and his culture as a Jew to speak to him about what he was about to do in the Gentile church. He was going to save Gentiles, and the way he showed Peter this was used his hunger moment in his life, and then use the fact that he understood the Jewish culture where you could not eat impure things. You couldn't do, Gentiles were impure. And Jesus was saying to them, I want you to eat this because what I have made clean, nobody can call unclean ever again. Powerful, powerful message, furnishings of his mind. Number four, clarity and simplicity are the most effective. So here's the thing, as leaders, our job is to ensure clarity in what the Holy Spirit is saying. If you notice on a Sunday morning when we come together, especially during worship, there's a microphone right there, and that microphone, my wife comes up, others sometime, Dave was up here today hosting and doing some announcements, different things that we have to do, right? Um, but part of the reason that microphone exists is to when we capture what it is that the Spirit of God is doing in our midst, we use that microphone often to share that, Right? But also, you can come, and if you have a word from the Lord that is for our congregation, if one of these gifts is working through you, you can come and you can share that. We ask you to clarify it, especially if you're new at this, clarify it with one of our elders first, whoever's overseeing that service. Why? Because it may just be for you. Maybe it's, for lack of a better term, it's like green fruit, and it's not ripe yet, and you need to pray into it a little more because you don't have any clarity about what it means. And the Bible goes on and talks about this. If a trumpet sounds the wrong sound, no one will prepare for battle, right? If you speak in a bunch of tongues and there's no interpreter, nobody knows what to do. God was here, that's awesome, but we didn't know what he was trying to do in our midst. So we use that on purpose to do these very things. So clarity and simplicity. Sometimes you'll, you'll get up and you'll see people kind of selfishly go, um, the Lord woke me up at four o'clock this morning, as he often does. <laughs> and he speaks to me, as he often does, in parables. As he, and so it just turns into this whole big thing about how amazing they are, right? Anybody ever experienced this? And so we just simply say, yeah, don't do that. Stop making it about you. And sometimes they'll come up and go, I need to say this. Do you need to say that? Or does it just need to be said? Right? Because sometimes it's helpful if you say it. And we'll, we'll, say, we'll say, it'd be really cool if you could share that. Because coming from you with that story or whatever that word is has a greater impact than me just reiterating it. But sometimes, three or four people will come up and say, hey, I'm sensing this and feeling this, or I had this scripture, and they'll say three or four things that will all be the same thing that God's leading us to in our service. And I'll just say, hey, thanks for that. 
I'm going to get up and combine all of those things and share what the Lord is doing, and we're, we're going to then administrate it. So sometimes it's helpful if you share it. Sometimes it's not. But you have to trust the leaders and let us lead because part of our job is to make sure that when the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like Paul writing to the Corinthian church, that it's done decently in order. And that doesn't, doesn't mean your version of decently in order. That's God's version, and his is different than yours. So your version of decent in order maybe never use the gifts because you're afraid of them or whatever. But God has no problem with that. So you want clarity and simplicity to walk in the power of God. When you do it, you see God do great things. Number five, their timing and style can be controlled. I've had people say this. I want to just challenge you right now. People say, well, you know, that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit. Wrong. I'm going to pull Trump. Wrong. Nope. <laughs> nope. You don't get to do that. You don't get to say that. The Holy Spirit made me do it. It's just as dumb as the devil made me do it. So don't do that, right? Why is that important? Because personal control is necessary to facilitate an orderly environment Why? Because Paul reiterates over and over again, the purpose of these gifts is to see God administrate what he's trying to do in a a meeting or over lunch or in a person's life. So simplicity and clarity is helpful. Timing and style can be controlled. Some people say, we were taught in, in the church I got saved in, when you prophesy, this is how you do it. Nobody ever said this. It's just how it was modeled. Nobody ever taught anything about it, so we just had to figure it out ourselves, and we didn't, we didn't have a clue. Most of us didn't read the Bible. But we would stand up and go, and the Lord would say to his people, and then we would say whatever we felt like the Lord would say. So a couple problems with that. I'm not the Lord. <laughs> right? And I see darkly. I see dimly. I, I see in part. I prophesy in part. The Bible talks about that. So when I say the Lord said, that's the trump card, and now what do you do if you don't think it's the Lord? Can't judge it, but that's exactly what the Bible says to do, is let the others judge. Two or three prophesy, let the others judge. Who are the others? The leaders and mature believers in the midst say, "Um, I'm pretty sure that wasn't Jesus, so we're not going to do that, right? So we keep that clear. And most of the time, if we do this well, you you almost never experience um, a bad scenario with the gifts. But here's an example. First Corinthians, I just read it. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one. Why? So that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophet. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. He said, this is what we're teaching in all the churches. Stop being confusing. Stop being weird for weird sake. It's not helpful. It's drawing attention to you. It's not drawing attention to our beautiful Savior, right? So be careful. Number six, the gifts don't speak to the maturity of the person manifesting them. If, if, if I can't teach you anything else this morning, please hear this one. The gifts do not speak to the maturity of the person manifesting them. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, you are babes in Christ. You're in Christ, that's good, but you're babies in Christ. You're not mature, and you're making a mess out of something God wants to use in a powerful, helpful way. So here's the thing. If someone manifests a gift of the Holy Spirit, it is only a testimony to their availability and willingness, not to their maturity in Christ. That's why God put five-fold ministers and leaders in place. It's why mature believers are in your life. It's why you are being discipled by mature believers instead of discipling, having a bunch of babies disciple babies, right? It's not helpful. Because why? Because if you don't, 
if you don't walk in maturity, what you do is you use these gifts to impress people, to show how powerful you are, and you do exactly what these guys did. They make a mess of things. People are getting drunk in communion. It's a, and Paul said, you guys are doing stuff the world doesn't even do, right? You're babes, and you're still in Christ, but grow up already. It's time to be mature. Super helpful for me. Let me give you an example. I was in, a, a, in Bible college, and we lived in a house that had like a, a, I don't know what, like a garage or something like that outside of the house. And they had several rooms that they'd rent out to Bible school students. And so Karen and I had one of those rooms rented, had a little common area. But the guy who was there, he was, he was at the church. He was mean to his wife all the time. Obviously, he was selfish. He was, he was a jerk. Let me just put it that way. Um, but when we go to church during the service, he would prophesy. And it would be beautiful. And people's lives would be changed. And it would be, oh, it's amazing. And I would look at that and God would go, and I would tell God, what are you doing? That's not, don't do that. You're confusing people, Lord. <laughs> right? Wouldn't you think? Like, God, God shouldn't use immature people. Well, then whoever's ever, ever going to get used, right? Because at some point, we're all immature. We're having a day, right? We're missing it. So God will work with what you give him. So the, the, the answer to that question is just grow up, become mature in Christ. But we can receive the gift from you even if you're being a jerk, right? Now, if you have good leaders in the church, we're going to come alongside you and go, hey, jerk, you're confusing people, <laughs> right? So here's the thing. You're not a jerk. You're just acting like one. That's not who God says you are and begin to speak to their identity, right? So we'll challenge it. So here's the thing. Do not be afraid if, some, if you step out in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do not be surprised if an elder or mature believer comes up to you and says, hey, can I, sh- can I talk to you about a better way to do that? If you get offended with that, it shows how immature you are. You hear me? Because I, I, this happens all the time. I start to say something. Hey, let me, let me teach you something. Well, who are you to teach me? It's not like Jesus died and put you in charge. Yeah, he actually did. That's literally what elders and deacons are. They're the ones Jesus died and put in charge. So you hope they're mature, right? You hope they're walking in maturity, and that's the reason those guys exist, is so the churches of God would be mature and walk in the power of God in ways that are helpful, that demonstrate who Jesus is and doesn't necessarily embarrass the kingdom. So just a few more. Ignorance and immaturity in their use can do more harm than good. We said this before. If you don't know how to walk in the gifts of the Spirit, we watch this happen all the time, people stand up and say, the Lord says, and they'll say it with such force that you're now if you're a young believer, you're like, oh, I have to receive that because they said it with such authority then, you know, of course it must be God. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it's mixed. Maybe they just have a revelation and interpretation, but no, don't know the application, but they gave you the application. So you just have to recognize um, that they, if you don't know what they're doing, we can make a mess out of things. What's, so what's the answer to that? The answer is learn how to do them well, and that's what we're talking about. Number eight, I only got one more after this. They are to be judged by the congregation leaders. This is important. Nobody's going to get it right all the time because we, we see in part, we prophesy in parts, literally what the Bible says. So no one ought to take offense when they're corrected by leaders or other mature believers in the church. Don't get offended. Just grow. Be mature. Recognize it's okay. So this is what it says, 1 Corinthians 13, 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. 1 Thessalonians, test everything. Hold on to what's good. 1 Thessalonians 5, avoid every kind of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. See, it's giving directions on how to do this. Um, 
1 Corinthians 14, if anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you, Paul's saying, I'm a mature believer, I'm an elder, I'm writing to you, and if you think you're an amazing prophet, you need to listen to me. That's what he says, listen. He says, if anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. I've shared this story many times. Um, my friend Greg, we were in a big meeting, prayer meeting before the service. Guy comes in, very prophetic, maybe even a New Testament prophet. He waits for an opportune moment, so he doesn't, he, he, takes, he takes advantage of something he shouldn't have done, waits till it gets quiet, starts to prophesy this big word. Nobody knows him. We don't know his voice. We're all looking at him like, who are you, right? So Greg, being a great leader to the U.S., he just said, hey, buddy, um, if you don't mind, he said, would you bring that prophetic word to us as elders? And we're happy to listen to what you have to say for us as a church. And then we'll, you know, we'll pray into that. We'll talk about that. And if that's the Lord, we're going to share it with our congregation because that's what we do. And the guy says, um, you, can't, uh, hinder, you can't hinder the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm not hindering the Holy Spirit. I'm hindering you. I never felt more safe in my whole life than that moment. You know why? He said, Greg said, listen, our job as elders is to administrate what the Lord wants to do. If he brings in some prophetic guy that we don't know, we, can't, we don't know his character, we don't know, whether, we don't know anything about him. But if what he says is from the Lord, I don't need to know all that, but I'm not going to let him confuse the congregation and just speak as if he has all that authority and we all know him. We're not doing that, right? We'll bring that, we'll talk about it, we'll see if that's the Lord. If it is, we'll share it with everybody here. We're not afraid to do that. We want to administrate what the Lord's doing. So, number nine, they should be used with regard to the lost. This is important. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 23. It says, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? So here's the thing. When I get up to preach every single Sunday morning, if we're in a small group setting, if we're in a ministry moment, I am always paying attention to who's here, always. So there's times, whether you know this or not, if there are no new people in our congregation, <laughs> I will preach in ways to you that I would not preach if there was a new person in our congregation. Now, here's the thing. Because we're on the Internet, there's potentially always a new person in the room, right? Because they may watch later on on the Internet. But that's fine. We can, if they want to take time, they can learn. But primarily, we're going to speak to who's here because you, you had the courtesy of showing up, right? <laughs> so we're, we're going to speak into your life. But if the Bible says if, an un, if we're all speaking in tongues, we're moving in the power of God, oh, it's awesome, the presence of God here, woo! Everything's awesome, right? It's fun, enjoying the presence of God. Some unbeliever walks in or unlearned, someone who was a cessationist, they were taught these gifts don't operate anymore. They walk in the room, they're going to be confused, perplexed, and they're going to wonder what, what, what's going on here, Right? So Peter, on the day of Pentecost, and this is beautiful, the Spirit of God begins to move in a way people had not seen before. The Bible says that they were speaking in languages. People, they were known. People were hearing them praise God in their original or in their, uh, their uh, native language because they'd come from all over the world to come you know, all over that known world at the time to come to Jerusalem for the, for the uh, ministry time. And so the wind blows, it's powerful, it's confusing, um, everybody's perplexed, it's literally what it says, and then the Bible says Peter gets up, he takes, he's the leader of the church at the time, later on you see James take a leadership role, he's the elder overseeing the meeting, for lack of a better term, he stands up, so that everybody can, and he says, hey everybody, 
let me get your attention. I am paraphrasing. <laughs> let me get your attention. See, this has your attention now, but you don't know what that is. So the role that I get to play now is to help make the connection between what God is doing and what you're experiencing and seeing and help you understand why he's doing that. That's literally the mission that you and I are on, to bring God, right? Pray. Jesus, when they ask him to pray, how do I pray? Pray that heaven comes to earth, that your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. What does that mean? That means God wants to come and he wants to break in in people's lives and you get to be the one to explain what's going on. So let me give, So he, Peter stands up and says, this is what was spoken of in the book of Joel. So he used their culture. All of them knew the, the prophet Joel. He uses it. He says, this is not what, they're not drunk. But here's why, because it's early in the day and we don't do that, right? But this is what is happening. What you're experiencing, this is God and this is how you know. Now this is what you do about it. Go read that passage, Acts chapter 2. It's beautiful. So what does that mean for you and I? That means for you and I, we get to do the same thing Peter did that day. We get to make ourselves, first of all, because the 120 were in the upper room, they had made themselves available for whatever, whatever Jesus wanted to do in their life. That's the thing that you and I need to do. And then when he had done that, when God began to move in power, he got up and he said, hey guys, let me help you make the connection between what God is doing that may be confusing to you because maybe you've never seen God move this way. But let me show you what's happening now. And when he did, the Bible says thousands of people gave their life to Christ. Thousands of people got saved that day. Thousands of people had a connection with the grace that God was pouring out in their life because the grace was flowing through those gifts. So what does that mean for us? Let me close with this, just three things. What can you do about not just this message, but this whole series that we've been doing. Your discipleship as a believer up until this moment. Maybe you're an old hand in this. If you are, keep doing it, man. Model it well. Let's see God do great things. But if you're new at this, which I'm, I'm betting a bunch of you guys are, because when we had, had you raise your hands about who's, who came up in the power camp, who came up in the wisdom camp, is probably 80% of us came up in the wisdom camp. So a lot of this is new to us, but it doesn't have to stay new. So do these three things. One, Make a decision to engage. James talks about this all the time. He said, don't be hearers of the word, but be doers. Remember what, what scripture I started with? Luke said, Theophilus, I want to explain this to you. Here's how we're going to do it. This is what Jesus taught. This is what Jesus did. My expectation, Theophilus, you do the same. That's the implication. So decide to engage. Nobody can do that but you. I don't know enough. Then learn, Google it. No, don't do that. <laughs> it's a mess out there. <laughs> the internet's not your best disciple partner, I promise you that. But, but learn. Come to a mature believer. Go to people who walk in this. Say, hey, help me understand how this works in you. What are the practical applications? Go back and read Scripture with this now in your brain, right? Secondly, grow in your understanding and also your desire. Lord, I don't really want to move in the gifts. It seems strange to me. Do you want more of Him, though? Because if you do, this is, how he cho- this is how he chose to do it. So I, I, I can say, you know what, I don't like the way the Pentecostals did it. Well, fine, they, some, of, some of it they did wrong. But at least they were willing, right? Did they make a mess sometimes? Absolutely. Did you make a mess sometimes? Absolutely. I've made a mess sometimes. It's wonderful. You ever, you ever try to help your, your, your kid pour milk in a bowl of cereal? It doesn't go well the first couple of times. Maybe the first thousand, I don't know. <laughs> but at some point... Your, your heart is, I want them to recognize they can do this themselves. And that's the heart of God. You can operate in power. 
You can pray for others. You can pray for yourself. You can walk in this. And lastly, this is an easy one, is practice the gifts. So how do you do that? On a Sunday morning when we're in worship and we have a microphone there, come in on a Sunday morning and say, you know what, Lord? The church is gathering. I am the church, and we are gathered here this morning. I'm available for you to use. Now, let me tell you one reason why you don't do that is because you have tremendous need. And, and that's okay. If you come in this morning and you have tremendous need, that's fine. Just say, Lord, I have tremendous need. And then your expectation is that the rest of us, right, will have been leaning in and saying, God, there are people in your congregation this morning, people, the church is gathered together. Some of the church are in tremendous need. So, Lord, use me to minister to them. I did that this morning when I got up and shared that word. I, don't, I, don't, I was going to get to preach. I'm going to talk for a while. I don't, I don't need to talk, right? I didn't do that so you guys would be impressed with my preaching ability. I did that because I'm like, I feel like this is what God is saying here and now. It's going to change people's lives. It's going to elevate them, bring them into a connection with God, and it's going to change their life. But you have, to, you have to practice. You have to try. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Like how you deliver it is sometimes just as important as what you are delivering. So think about how you do it. Watch mature believers and how they do it. Recognize immature believers when they do it wrong and why they did it wrong. But at some point, you have to practice it. So come in on Sunday morning and say, Lord, I want to be available. Maybe I'm not ready to share in the front. We won't make you share if you come up and tell us what you feel like the Lord is saying for the meeting. We won't make you do that. We'll challenge you sometimes. You can still say no, it's fine. And everybody who's done that at some point was standing up here sharing what God has done, so they grew into it. The other thing is during small groups, connection groups, um, when you're gathering together, we're about to have a bunch of parties as we go into uh, Christmas. What if you made yourself available and said, hey, some of these meetings, some of these times that we're going to gather together, what if we practice this? Um, let me leave you this. We did this with Dave and, and Callie because they're elders at our church and obviously mature believers and walking in this. And what's interesting is one reason why I asked Dave to teach this last time was because he grew up in the wisdom camp and I grew up in the power camp, right? And so it was just a different perspective. So it was really fun. But we had, uh, before they had Gemma, um, we had them come in and we did this party, you know, all the worldly things that we do, you know, worldly, that sounds wrong, <laughs> but all, all the cultural things we do for, you know, babies about to be born. But one of the things we did is we, got, we gathered a bunch of believers in the room and said, Lord, what are you saying about that baby right there? Before that baby was ever born, the Bible says that God knew Gemma before she, he knew us, we were in his heart before any of those things ever happened, right? So we got together and we just went one by one and, you know, we prophesied one by one, and we said, we've been making ourselves available before the Lord for the last week or two, because we knew this was coming. We said, Lord, what are you saying to Dave and Callie about this baby and everything that's happening? What are you saying about this baby? And then you, you ask them. They, they recorded all of those things, and they went back. I recorded some on video. I was going to show it this morning, but I knew it was going to be long. But we went through, and we just shared, and every single one of those things, at one point, they were almost in tears. They are like, God has already talked to us about our baby in those ways. He's already said that scripture about our baby. This is what's true. So here's the thing. Now they're parenting, not just how they think Gemma should be raised, but now they're parenting according to who God says that baby is. That's, that's, that's different. But what we did is we just practiced it enough so that when we just literally intentionally gathered together and said, we believe that if we're intentional about this, God will use me to speak and bless and benefit and minister to somebody else. 
So if, if you never step out in faith and never try it, you're never going to see God move in the power that we all so long to see Him move in, right? And there's more. There's always more. So I just want to encourage you as, as I pray for you this morning. Would you take a step of faith? I mean, just super practical. When you do it, if you feel like you want to share something with somebody, say it, say it this way. Say, I'm learning about these gifts. So give me some grace as I share, and then I'm going to share what I feel like the Lord is saying. You can be as careful as you want to be, but take the step of faith, share it with somebody, and watch what God will do with your mustard seed of faith. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Well, we're definitely not beating the Baptist to lunch today, so I apologize. Some of you guys are like, hey, I'm Baptist. <laughs> so let me pray for us. Jesus, we just love you so much. Um, Lord, your heart for us was you wanted us to see and move in the same power that you did, Lord. Um, you did not want church to be boring. You didn't want our lives to be boring. Lord, you wanted us to move in the great adventure of seeing the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And so, Lord, we just declare that right now as a church that we want that. Lord, we long for more of you, and we long for your presence and your power to move amongst us. Lord, and I just want to say, Lord, would you use me more? Lord, as, as I link, learn and grow, especially in words of knowledge, Lord, it seems to be so powerful and often the way that you heal people through uh, words of knowledge helping to build people's faith. Lord, I want to grow in that in a big way. I want to be more accurate. Lord, I want to have more faith that you would say things that were it could only be you that said it. But, Lord, it's such a huge risk that sometimes I feel afraid to do it. Lord, help me in that. Lord, help my fear. Lord, I just want to be obedient, Lord, and I want to see you move in people's lives in beautiful ways. Jesus, we love you, and we honor you in your name. Amen. Our ministry team will be up here. If you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week.